श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए श्रीमद भगवत गीता की जाए बोल प्रेम आनंदे वेलकम एवरीवन सो वी आर कंटिन्यूइंग आवर डिस्कशन ऑफ भगवत गीता एंड वी आर डिस्कसिंग फ्रॉम द 10th चैप्टर एक्सक्यूज मी and in the 10th chapter we have four verses that are thought to be the essential verses of the text get to the heart of the issue and last night we discussed the first of those these are verses 8 9 10 and 11 and we explained in brief how the chapter is about manifestations of nature to be uh, manifestations of god the idea here is that as we pointed out krishna points out different powerful manifestations of nature and says of of bodies of water i am the ocean of mountains i am meru of immovable things i am the himalayas and so forth and uh, welcome and the idea behind these this is that while while he identifies himself with different powerful manifestations of nature names a few a number of them he says but it's it's unlimited and uh, all this is but a spark of my splendor and so forth the idea is very practical because we do upon encountering very prominent and powerful manifestations of nature have a a moment often that removes us from our uh self-centered uh preoccupations and perspectives uh i give the example sometimes in in my monastery in northern california we are in the redwoods and although we we are up high the redwoods are a little smaller there because they're not uh, the roots aren't as close down to the to the water that you can find in the valley so in the valley there's a big big old growth forest and as you know the redwoods are quite big trees and uh, so i encourage the people sometimes to go down and take a walk in the forest and it's it's a the perspective uh, changes from i'm in the forest to the trees are the, the trees are the center and i'm the, the uh, are the subject and the object something like that um so we can be dislodged i want to say to some extent momentarily from our self-centered uh preoccupation and perspective the world is mine for me to 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 enjoy as i see fit and so forth this is this very much is the antithesis of humility isn't we see a thing for how it will serve us then we're on the throne so to speak rather than being on 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 the floor and um um worshiping and 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 being uh realizing that we're as small if you will as as we are <clears throat> so see idea in this chapter that uh, in one sense how these things these powerful manifestations of nature have it have a tendency or a power to dislodge us momentarily 
if you will, from that. We have kind of an aha moment. And, and of course, some people make a religion out of that, animism and worshiping a powerful manifestation of nature that they acknowledge that they're dependent upon for their foodstuffs, for um, their vitality and, and survival and so on and so forth. The Gita is not talking about that kind of a theology. That would be on the low end of the theological spectrum. Hmm? But whatever divinity is found in that, that and more is found in the theology of the Gita. And here in these, this 10th this, uh, chapter and 9th chapter, right in the center of the book, this is the beginning of the 10th chapter, it's kind of a carryover from the 9th chapter. <clears throat> the high point in the theology of the Gita is discussed. But as, it, as this is continued to be discussed here in the 10th chapter, as they say, overflowing from the 9th, the 10th chapter begins with this, this the idea of Krishna talking about, as I say, powerful manifestations of nature that he is, is, is represented by. It's a way of speaking about his majesty. Hmm? That um, that by properly understanding uh, this 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 understanding of his majesty fosters a type of spiritual practice hmm? and approach to the Godhead that affords us intimacy. Not love in majesty, but love in intimacy. The background of the Madhurya, the sweetness of Krishna, is the Aishvarya, or the majesty of Krishna. In other words, Krishna is sweet, two-armed and human-like, because he is who he says he is in the chapter. You know, if someone is everything, and this is what he said in the first of the four, four verses we're discussing, Aham Sarvasya Prabhupada, I'm, everything comes from me. I'm the source of all avatars, all manifestations of the worlds, and so on and so forth. That's a powerful statement. If that person then um, appears before us as, as, as like one of us, so to speak, and 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 interacts in human-like ways. This is very charming, very sweet. A way, the way in which that majestic uh, and distant, if you will, divinity becomes very much uh, accessible. So it's a contrast. In other words, in order to speak about the point here is to speak about himself and the possibility of interacting with him in intimacy as he would so much uh, want us to want. Hmm? He has to speak about his Aishwarya, his, his opulence, and so a very much a cornerstone of this love and intimacy that the, that the Gita ultimately promotes. It's so central to our our lineage. Hmm? This kind of bhakti, loving Krishna like a friend, like a lover, like a, uh, like, a like like one would love their their child or something like that. Huh? without any consideration of why I should love. Just it's natural, so to speak. It's not because he's someone that should be loved, I should love him. Because he's someone, he's God, he should be served. That would be like a self, kind of a dutiful type of approach. So something that beyond 
the calculation that's involved in dutiful love, which involves a head making a calculation as to why the heart should function. Let the heart function and close down the head, so to speak, altogether. Gyan shunya bhakti. This is the advocacy of the Gita, ultimately. And, and some people think it's about gyan <laughs> over bhakti. It's actually about the kind of bhakti that closes down gyan. Gyan shunya means shunya means without. Devoid of gyan. Devoid of gyan in the sense of this calculating uh, function or preoccupation or um, way of the, of the head and mind. That in ordinary sense, of course, is how we're moving in the world. We're not moving according to our heart, but according to our 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 head. Well, <laughs> it gets complicated. But sometimes we move according to our heart. It isn't a wise heart. That's another thing. So, in the context of this school of thought, of course, we make the heart wise. We exercise the head in such a way that it closes down so that the heart can come out and rule as it, as it should. But that's a, that's a wise heart. And that's been mentioned in the first verse also. Buddha bhava samanbita. This bhava is buddha. It's wise. Hmm? It's not, you know, now they have these things out on the West Coast. I don't have it here. They call the bhakti fest. It's a popular thing. And I was told they have t-shirts and it's in, that, that they feel the bhav or something like that. <laughs> it's not so easy to feel the bhav. <laughs> you don't just wear a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or something like that. It's some wisdom is required. Hmm? Be in the bhav. Be in the bhav. <laughs> a little catchy there, but uh, that's a good idea. But how to be in the bhav, you know, to be a little bit into the moment of what's 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 happening. Pay attention. Nasta prayeshu abadeshu nityam bhagavata sevaya bhagavatutama shloge bhakti bhavati nastiki. Bhagavat, the sequel to the Gita says, you have to pay very close attention <laughs> to understand what's being said here. What is bhava? Hmm. So you have to use the head to soften the heart. Hmm. Not that we use the head in such a way that the heart gets is, is, is suspended, frozen, atrophied, or hardened, for that matter. So this is not about information gathering, that my head can become fat and my heart can become um, uh, how you say atrophied, or I can have a heart attack, or my heart can die so to speak. And we, we find it sometimes. People gather a lot of spiritual knowledge just to become mean with it through argumentation and, uh, and, uh, and uh, self-assertiveness in the name of establishing what is the truth and so forth. Truth is beyond that. So, Buddha Bhava Samambita. So anyway, here, in the first verse we discussed last night, he, he says, Aham sarvasya prabhava matasarvam prabhavati iti matvabhajantemam budubhava samambhita. Knowing me to be the center, the source of everything. This is a key, he said. This is a, this is a foundational stone to building a house of bhakti. Bhakti means love, really. It's the art of giving. And of course, the art of giving is perfected by giving without expectation of return. Hmm? If we attach some taking, 
to our giving, to that extent we're not giving. However, in order to give without expectation of return, such that the giving really is the getting, which we hear, but we, we wonder sometimes, I'm not sure if I got, I gave, but I didn't get. Hmm? Um, so we can talk about giving and people will ask, well, you know, that sounds good, but I gave and I got burned or something like that. So the idea here is that two things, as I, we kind of concluded last night, in order to give without expectation of return in such a way that the giving is tangibly the getting. Hmm? You have to find out where, you, where to give, where such that your giving can actually be taken. In other words, if you're going to give without reservation, you have to find a, who can, one who can take without reservation. Hmm? I've sometimes given the example of the stomach with regard to the body and its various parts worth repeating. Hmm? That there's no part of the body that we can give the food to such that the, all the parts will be nourished other than the stomach. If we all the parts agree, if the legs agree to work hmm, by walking and the hands by planting hmm, and, uh, and the, the brain by tendering to the, to the crop and again the hands by, by, by picking the fruit and preparing it and so forth, and then feeding it to the tongue, which has its necessity uh, to taste. And then all these parts cooperate, the throat to swallow, into the stomach, all working for the stomach. They cannot at one, any point revolt and expect to live on themselves independently. And the stomach is the taker, but when we carefully look at that taker, we find it's a giver also. This is the nature of love. So the stomach takes that and distributes it to the rest of the body in a way that no other part can. So the taker is a giver also. And, and I say this is the nature of love because if I give my love to you, if I love you, then you start loving me. So. Krishna here is identifying himself as the center. He says he's portrayed, depicted by mystics in art, in, in literature, in philosophy, in poetry, and so forth, in drama, as a taker, enjoyer. Hmm? He's not like any other of the gods or goddesses in the Hindu pantheon that all have something to do. Hmm? Krishna's got nothing to do. He's just playing, that's all. Hmm. And so sometimes we wonder, well, you know, he doesn't have four heads or eight arms or you know these different weapons and powers. Even Shiva's the power of renunciation, dressed in ashes, hmm. the power to meditate and so forth. Krishna's running with Radha, <laughs> so a very different uh, figure, if you will. Hmm. But. As I've often said, in order to play, you have to have power. In order to take a vacation, you have to have some money in the bank. You have to have work. You have to have some power. So if you're only playing, this is all-powerful. This is his position. This is the idea. So this is the, how the center has been depicted. Now the center is talking about himself. 
Prabhu. says, get this in place, this foundation. You want, I'm teaching you about giving. Hmm? You should give to me. Hmm? And we think, well, wait a minute, you know. I don't know, but that's, a, that's a pretty strong statement there. But yeah, this is the statement he's making. We have to remember, of course, that he's made other statements as well, particularly, as I mentioned last night, in the previous six chapters. Now we're in the theology of the Gita, where the Godhead is talking about himself. There's the famous Upanishadic aphorism I cited yesterday, Tat-tvam-masi, Tat-tvam-masi, Tat and Tvam. Tat means that, or him, or his, and Tat Tvam means you. Say, you are his. You are that. You are that. Better, you, that doesn't make so much sense. You are his. Thou art thine. Something like that. So the first six chapters are about you. The second six chapters are about him. His. Who you are. So the self, the Atma is described. It's a dissertation on the nature of being, not on, not on, not a advocacy of believing, a mandate to believe. No, the nature of being, and we hear it from his words. What is the nature of being? I am of the nature of consciousness. I'm of the subjective nature, not an, of, an, of an objective nature, like matter. Hmm? I matter. Hmm? I have value. I, I'm a unit of value and meaning. I give meaning to matter. I give meaning. We give meaning to things. We give value to things. As I've often said, if matter mattered independently of consciousness, would it matter? Who would know? <laughs> Who would care? Mm -hmm. We are the knower. We are the carer. Mm -hmm. We are consciousness and we are hard to talk about because we are not like anything. We're not a thing. The inability to speak about it, neti, neti, it's not this, it's not that. You're not this, you're not that. Doesn't speak of, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't speak of how insignificant it is, but rather how significant it is. So Krishna has spoken about this in such a way that if we, if we, through good association with sadhus, if we hear this, we, we get a, a confirmation as to our universal human insight that there's more to life than things, than what meets the eye and the mind. And it's me, it's us. We're the more. Hmm? We're consciousness, not matter. And in human life, we, we can pursue that. And so, this is hugely uh, encouraging, optimistic. Hmm? There's a great optimism in the Gita and a very healthy pessimism also as to the nature of, of, the, of the world arrived at by identifying ourselves with things. The more we identify ourselves with things without understanding we're the ones that made them meaningful, we, we, we lose a sense of our own meaning and a higher purpose in life, that, 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 that there is meaning, that there is value. Things, molecules, 
atoms bouncing up against one another randomly does not make for a very meaningful um, life. Hmm? So the more we have identified with things by way of attachment, the more sorrowful we become. Hmm? The more really empty the world becomes, the less meaningful. Next thing you know, we start philosophizing. There's no, there's no meaning to life. There's no purpose to life. And then we have to argue with people. But we're still moral, and we still have <laughs> values. And, and then we go, wait a minute, <laughs> what values? Yeah. So uh, values, uh, ethics, morals, not grounded ontologically, are not very compelling. So Gita, as I say in these first six chapters, tells us about herself in a, in a, in a way we hadn't, couldn't think about it, hadn't thought about ourselves. And it's so optimistic. What is your potential? The potential, the difference in what the Gita says, ultimately, about ourself in terms of potential, in terms of how we were thinking about ourselves as American, as a woman, as an Indian, as a North Carolinian or a South Carolinian, all these egoic, small senses of self, the me's, hmm? these very small ideas and so forth. The difference between that sense of self and its, its potential, its prospect, and the prospect that the self has in the way that the Gita talks about the self, it's like the difference between ice and water. The best thing you can do with ice is cool water. <laughs> but with water, you can do so many things. You can grow food. You can make electricity. You can bathe. You can swim. You can... I mean, the potential is, is, is extraordinary in comparison. So, as I say, the first six chapters are extremely optimistic and in a healthy way, giving a healthy pessimism as to the prospect of finding meaning, value, and hope in a world of attachment uh, to things. We become like a thing. You are what you associate with, so to speak. If your preoccupation is with things, then uh, all their limitations come within your conception of your own self. And all those things are what? Here today, gone tomorrow. Hmm? So we have to try to stop that, protect them. Hmm? And so that's a struggle for existence. The Gita is ending the struggle. Hmm? It ends the struggle. He says, there's no death. So wait a minute. <laughs> All the sadhus die, but then it says, no, 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 you misunderstand. Life is not biological. Life is not a biological affair. The biological mechanism and what it goes through, evolution, devolution, and so forth. This is a separate cycle. This is a parallel. Self is, is animating, and this is it's animating that. Hmm? So life is not biological. Yes, there's biological death, but hmm? life itself, that is light consciousness. Hmm? Different thing. 
So, we're on the edge of our seat. And then the middle six chapters, and Krishna's speaking about himself. Now we have to believe a little bit. Hmm? I can kind of help, the Gita can help you see. Oh, right. I thought the world was a bowl of cherries, but there were only pits there. <laughs> Something like, oh, I'm seeing that in a way that, ah, yeah. My, I have a younger brother, and he met some of my associates many years ago. I was lost from home in an ashram for many years. And uh, so he met some of my associates, and, they, and, and he said, yeah, we know him, you know, and then they were talking about me. And so then they were speaking about the philosophy of the Gita. And my brother said, it is like I had painted a picture of my life in watercolors and you're throwing water on it. It's all melting. All the values I had, the things that I thought were important, you're putting water on it and, and, and it's dissolving. And it's a little painful, but it's true what you're saying. It's, I'm attached to that, but what you're saying is, is accurate. I, thanks for pouring water on it because it's all going to dissolve anyway. Hmm? Why don't I dissolve it in the conceptual stage, in the dreaming, in the fantasizing stage, rather than playing it all out, only to find that it was just phantasmagoria, hmm? just sand castles, only. Hmm. only castles burning, something like that. Uh, famous song. <laughs> uh, so, coming into the middle six chapters like this, we, we come with great optimism, and now Krishna begins to speak about himself. The, we, he talked about you, now about him. And a great pros prospect is now increasing even further. It's one thing to be a unit of consciousness, it's another thing be unit of consciousness in touch with its source in a reciprocal relationship. Hmm? We are all individuals, but we may not be different. You could have a hundred billiard balls, they're all different, but they're all the same too, right? If they're all eight balls, let's say, you could have a thousand eight balls, they're all different, but they're all the same. Hmm? We have a difference between one another based on our attachments, that's false. That I, that's based on a false sense of my, nothing belongs to you. So the I that arises out of a my is very illusory. My car, my house, my country, my state. I'm American, I'm North Carolina. I'm a whatever, Marlboro man it used to be, um, kind of thing. No, that eye is 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 not is not real. It's ephemeral. Hmm? Uh, so that difference is false. Now we come to a unity, hmm? a unity, a unit, a bunch of individual units that are all the same. Um, that means we're not going to fight with one another. Okay, but then are we going to do anything? Are we going to play? Are we going to interact? The interaction requires some variegatedness, some difference. Hmm? If everything's the same, no difference, then what to do? <laughs> what do you do? What do you want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do tonight? Hmm? 
something like that. So when we rise above the false differences that now have us active, hmm? do you understand? In a non-productive way, not productive of happiness, fulfillment, real meaningful insight, and so forth. When we rise above that to what we all have in common, for units of consciousness, we are individual units of consciousness, but but there's, there's at the same time, there's not much difference between one another. It's like I say, one one atom or another atom. Hmm? So with the ingress of bhakti, with the ingress of him, the idea that you are his into your life, differences come. Dasya, sakya, vatsalya, madurya. The different nuances of that, that love is full of. Love is, is, is a singular thing, full of many nuances. Variety is the spice of life, they say. Hmm? So Bhakti talks about a, di a, a difference, a variegated existence and transcendence that does not compromise unity. Here the variegatedness is false and it compromises unity. So we're at odds with one another. There the variegatedness is not false, it's real. Hmm? It's a different sentiment of love. I love Krishna. I love Ram. Hmm? I love Krishna as a friend. I love Krishna as a lover. Hmm? This kind of uh, variety, this kind of honing of the of the of what of the sentiments that really the things the forces that really make this world go round. Hmm? They're not, as I said last night gravity, electromagnetic force, but their love, love of your children, love of your friends, love of your l lover. Hmm? These are the forces that really make the world go round. Bhakti is about taking those forces and centering them where they, where they can reach their fullness, uh, fullness of expression in eternity without limit, in preem, which is full and ever-increasing the same time. Hmm? Krishna says, you have to know me, the center, in order to do that. I do that. Hmm? He said, I have other manifestations of divinity for other purposes. But if you want to taste love in a way in which you're accustomed to tasting love, but it doesn't quite work for you. You love your kids, but they frustrate the hell out of you. Or, or, or your parents love you, and you frustrate the hell out of them. Or you have a relationship, and you have to, you know, it's hard work <laughs> to make it work. It, it's just, because the problem is, it's a little off-center. Mm -hmm. Krishna says, let me provide you the center. It's me. I'm the stomach of the body of, of the world of love. Feed me and be nourished yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this makes for a variegated transcendent experience. L love requires two. The two have to be one, but in a dynamic way. Not that one extinguishes the other, but they're one in that they're on the same page, in the same paragraph, on the same line, in the same, they're a parenthetic, eternal moment. Hmm? So, with the ingress of him, if you will, the potential that was already unlimited, 
that I have as understanding myself as, as a unit of consciousness rather than matter hmm, has just now expanded again on, on, unlimitedly. That's why it's said the bliss, the ananda of the self, sukhananda, the happiness of the self. There's a great example in the Bhagavad, Sukadev, the son of Vyas. He was self-realized, so he was he was relishing the joy of the self. Um, swasukam, it's mentioned in the Bhagavatam. This swasukam, this joy of the self, it is um, indeterminate. You follow me? It's indeterminate. It is not. It has no object that it's in relation to. The self is an object of love. That's a fact. That's why we love things, because we're in them. Certain things that we think are ours. When I say that's mine, what I have, what's happening there, metaphysically, is I, that unit of consciousness, has extended itself into the thing by way of identification. And now the thing, I think, is making me happy. Why this thing, this house makes me happy? Because it's mine. Why that house doesn't make me happy? Because it's not mine. Because <laughs> I'm not in it. Hmm? It's, a, it's, it's the self that is the object of happiness. Matter is asat, achit, nirananda. Asat is not real. All forms of matter are not real. In other words, like I say, they're here today gone tomorrow, unreliable. Asat achit. Matter is not cognizant of itself. Hmm? We are cognizant of ourself. We know that we exist. It's a problem. <laughs> hmm? And asat achit nirananda. There's no joy in matter. Indeed, the Gita says, Attachment to, to things, to matter, is the womb from which suffering takes birth. The Buddha said the same thing. It's desire, and that means in relation to things. This is the cause of suffering. So there's no ananda in matter. Asat, achit, nirananda. We are asat, chit, ananda, anu. Atomic. Small, in a small way. Hmm? You wouldn't have sat chit ananda. But in this world, then, hmm? we are what is lovable. Hmm? We are the object of love, the self, consciousness, not matter. Only when we extend ourselves into matter does matter appear to be pleasure giving. So there's joy in the self. So we separate this out. Sukadev had separated this all out. Swasukam, he was tasting the bliss of the self. And what was the result? He didn't have to go anywhere. Hmm? No thing could attract him. Hmm? How joyful is the self? And then what happened? He heard these poetry of the Bhagavad, the sequel to the Gita, he heard this poetry speaking about Krishna and he became attracted. Itam Bhutta Guna Hari. 
આત્માના ચુમનાયોને ગ્રંથ આપી રૂપે હી વોઝ સેલ્ફ સેટિસ્ફાઈડ પરિક્રેમ એટ્રેક્ટેડ ટુ ધીસ પોએટ્રી ઓફ ધ ભાગવત અબાઉટ કૃષ્ણ ઇટ્સ લાઈક ધીસ હી વોઝ સેલ્ફ સેટિસ્ફાઈડ હી લર્ન ધ લેસન ઓફ ધ ફર્સ્ટ સિક્સ ચેપ્ટર્સ હી ટર્ન ધ ચેપ્ટર સેવન એન્ડ સડનલી ધીસ સંબંધ જ્ઞાન સંબંધ જ્ઞાન he had knowledge of the self and acquaintance with it it's 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 uh, it's ananda but now he got this is what this is what this chapter about sambandha gyan knowledge of the self in relation to its source not unto itself in relation to its source relational knowledge hmm? so while he was satisfied in the self swasukam tasting the self of his swa own sukam own happiness not in relation to anything hmm? or any emotion in the mind and so forth as a result of attachment to things hmm? desire give rise to thoughts and uh, I, not like that mm-hmm. self satisfied then it's almost as if the bhagavad say he opened the 7th chapter the gita and the ingress of him knowledge relational knowledge in other words his self was indeterminate now it becomes his happiness i should say his was his love was indeterminate there was no object in which it was reposed Now let's say you're alone and you're happy you're you know you're in love <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense but you're alone but you're in love you understand what i'm saying the full measure of loving requires another it's love is reciprocal dealings hmm? it's not being alone love is giving yes so who will you give to true love includes not taking but not taking is not the full face of giving he stopped taking he was not attached to things exploiting the world based on a misconception of himself that i need things to protect myself to make myself happy to be more no i am more and letting go of the things hmm? and i'm happy knowing i'm the more i'm no longer taking hmm? but the potential of the atma for tasting ananda requires another hmm? not another thing no you have to get rid of things to taste the happiness of yourself but a consciousness other hmm? that is the idea of krishna hmm? wow i'm saying the potential is just of, is of yourself your prospect has just increased your potential prospect for loving has just increased so much more it already increased by knowing you are not matter hmm? that was taking you into negative numbers of karmic implication now you came to zero ah now we're going up 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 108 hmm? prospect hmm? this to this krishna this is what krishna is giving here first verse we talked as nice someone again krishna stu bhagavan swayam aham sarvasya prabhava mata sarvam pavartate he wants you to be very clear he says i am the source of everything everything comes from me 
want to talk about, <laughs> he wants to make sure you're clear. I am the source of everything. Everything comes from me. <laughs> Repetition can be a good thing, especially for us. We need to hear again and again. Hmm? He says, He says, This conceptual orientation that I'm talking about, this sambandagyam, relational knowledge, hmm? I am now coming before you as the object in which you can repose your loving propensity hmm? and love like you could have never otherwise. Hmm? This conceptual orientation, he says, that we call sambandagyam, this kind of knowledge, it fosters bhakti. So he says, iti samanvita. Knowing this, having this sambandagyam in place, then according to the conceptual orientation we have, a certain type of action will be fought, will, will 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 follow. How we think about ourselves and the world determines how we will act. Hmm? So he wants to get this, give us this kind of conceptual orientation that fosters naturally that action that we call bhakti. Hmm? So he says, Buddha-bhava-samamita. Knowing this, one in, one engages in wise enters into wise love and cultures a extraordinary relationship with me in Dasya, Sakya, Patsalya, Madhurya, like these these kinds of rasam, rasa, rasovai, sa. Is that Brahman is rasa. When the, when the Shinpanishad speaks like this about Brahman, it's speaking about Krishna, Radha Krishna, two, the dua, the duad, <laughs> Two, Radha Krishna Pranai, Vikiti Ladini Shakti Rasma. The transformation of Krishna's love is Radha. We talked about this yesterday. Krishna says, I'm the source of everything. So people ask, okay, who's the source of Krishna? Radha. Who's the source of Radha? Krishna. Hmm? It's like you can't have a teacher without a student. You can't have a lover without a beloved. Uh, which is first? Stop thinking. <laughs> is the idea. Which is first? Stop thinking. It's above your pay grade. Here. There's another way of knowing. Hmm? And it leaves the knowing of the head far behind. <coughs> the knowing of a wise heart. When to stop thinking and what to do. Hmm? To Im- what is a transrational exercise? That is bhakti. What kind of knowing will it afford you? Hmm? The knowing of loving, that is real knowing, essential knowing, not any extra baggage of information uh, to burden you, make you think you're smart, and they tell others, live on that. Uh, Terrible. So, he says, I am the source of everything. That I am, the, that, uh, and, and I am in a loving compact with Radha. I, I am Bhakti and Bhagwan. You can't have one without the other. Hmm? Krishna is the object of, of devotional love. So, wherever there is that devotional love, there is Krishna. People say, 
I don't believe in God. I say, that's okay, but you have to have to believe in love of God. You can see that. He's chanting and crying, falling on the ground. He has no interest. She has no interest in anything else. Just the, just the chanting. This kind of kata. Machita, madgata, prana. Bodayam chal. Parasparam, bodayanta parasparam, katayantascha maamnittam, tushyanti cha, ramanti cha. This is tonight's verse. Machita. Hmm? He says, now, those people who understand me as the center, how do they act? This is abhidetatva then. Hmm? That sambandha, yeah, that relational knowledge, fosters a certain type of activity that's called bhakti. We call that abhideya. The means. First the conceptual orientation, then the means to act, that constitutes acting in relation to that conceptual knowledge. The means which will produce an end. So conceptual orientation, sambandha, abhideya, the means, that is bhakti. A conceptual orientation that will foster a type of action that constitutes bhakti, which will produce a certain kind of fruit. What will the fruit be? Bhakti. More bhakti. Like the difference between a ripe, a, a, a blossoming green apple and a red apple. Hmm? It's an apple, but it's sweeter, it's mature. Bhakti, sadhana bhakti, bhakti in practice. For bhava bhakti. To attain bhakti in ecstasy, to attain bhakti in prem, in love of God. So bhakti for bhakti's sake. So he says, get this, understand this, and and you will naturally do bhakti. And what is bhakti? As I said, you may not believe in God, but it's hard not to believe in love of God. I don't just mean somebody says, I love God. We're not talking about that. We're talking about love. You know what love is. To be preoccupied with someone. Do you love your children? Hmm? Do they occupy your mind? A fair amount of the time? Hmm? Huh? Or have you ever fallen in love with somebody? Has it preoccupied your mind? Can you sleep? Can you? <laughs> this, this is love of God like this. Hmm? You may not believe in God, but there are examples of this. And and defined negatively, they don't love anything else. They have no interest in anything, no need for anything else. What, what kind of ground do you think they're standing on? Empty ground? Just words? Hmm? The paradigmatic figures, the saints over the century, they're not standing on, they're standing on firm ground. Hmm? <coughs> to turn the back on the way of the world, so to speak, and be happier than one who, who, could, who, could, who, could, who could become the emperor of the world. Wherever there is love of God, and I mean, this means wise love, God is there. It's not an empty promise or just a belief system. There are symptoms. This is our interest. We should form an institution for this. Somebody asked me, when is it 
when is it that loyalty to an institution, a spiritual institution, becomes sectarian? He was a member of his guru's institution who had left the world. And someone had said, you're just promoting sectarianism because of the way he was acting. He says, well, I'm acting loyal to my institution. Since when does loyalty become sectarianism? I said, oh, it happens. When does it happen? When loyalty to an institution that was formed for fostering love of God does not recognize love of God or opposes it when it shows up in another institution. You understand? That's when loyalty to an institution becomes sectarianism. This we should avoid. (laughs) Then the very institution that was formed to foster love of God uh, binds us, holds us down, becomes an object of our attachment only and ignorance. And we fight against the very thing that it is formed to foster. So love of God has symptoms. There's a way to tell it. Hmm? It's not what you believe, it's what you do. <laughs> you could say, I say I believe this, but what do you do? We, we, we don't talk to him about what you believe in. What do you do? Hmm? You can see what you believe in. What do you heard about? Hmm? So there's love, love of God. That's what he's talking about here. He says, this conceptual orientation I have given you, it fosters a certain type of activity. It creates a certain type of person. What is that type of person? Machita, madgata prana, he says. Machita, the chitta. This is the kind of, in, from a yogic perspective, an internal organ of awareness. Consciousness is like a light that it's luminous and it illuminates other things. Hmm? The illuminating capacity hmm, of the light we call awareness. And our awareness of the of the physical world hmm, that we have the capacity to have being a unit of luminosity, if you will, as an Atma. Hmm? Is facilitated in this world by 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 the chitta. Hmm? It's not spiritual; it's material. But it's it, it it's that internal organ that makes us that affords us awareness of of our physical, psychic dimensions and the world and so forth. Chitta, mat chitta. So he says, their chittas are mat. They're, they're me. They're mat chitta. Their chit. Their mind. Their heart, their awareness—it's uh, a difficult word to 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 define. Chitta is absorbed in me. Hmm? Chitta is full of vrittis. Yoga Sutra says, "Chitta vritti nirodha." The ideal of yoga is to make this chitta placid, like a lake without any ripples, calm and peaceful, undisturbed by the vrittis. Vrittis come from desires. Thoughts arise in the chitta hmm? from desires and attachments and so forth. Uh, 
Um, here the idea, of course, is not to make it placid. Make it placid, but then make a splash at the same time. It's like if you come to a peaceful lake and, and it's just, oh, everything just flat and peaceful and you sit and, and then, but then if you take a stone and you throw it in the lake, then it makes concentric ripples like this. And it's very beautiful. If I took ten stones and throw them in different places, and I go, no, no, it's a problem. Yeah. Make it, make it peaceful again. Let's take one stone, throw it in the center. The ripples go out like that. Now take another stone, throw it in the exact same place, going. On. 108 stones, same place. Ripples are concentric and bigger. And there's a variety, a harmony in music. is not one note, right? Many notes. This is, again, this idea of unity and diversity in transcendence. A variety that doesn't compromise the unity, but it beautifies, decorates hmm, the unity. It makes for beautiful possibilities, potentials, and so forth. So in bhakti, yes, we want to make the citta free of vrittis by way of bringing the bhakti vritti hmm? onto, the, onto the consciousness. Bringing Bhagawan onto the citta, not things, but that consciousness other that is our source. Hmm? This, mean, this is speaking about bhav here, hmm? in rag bhakti, and this dasya, sakya, vatsali, madhurya for Krishna, this kind of bhakti, machita. Their minds, their chitta, is sudha-sattva-viseshatma, prema-suryam-su-samyavak, sudha-sattva-viseshatma. This shakti that is bhakti, ladini-sambit-sandini, this existential knowing and loving Elements of bhakti, making ingress into the into the jiva, takes over his chitta. Hmm. This is what is being talked about. Mochitta. This is bhav bhakti. Buddha In bhav bhakti, this chitta is absorbed like this. Now he says, mochitta madgata prana. Pran. Chitta means is speaking of the psychic dimension, so to speak, of our makeup. Hmm? Pran means air, life air, it means life, like the breath. So it refers more to the, the, the physical component of our present situation. We have a psychic and a physical component. He said, Machitta, Madgata, Prana. Their chitta is absorbed in me, and Gata, Prana. Their prana, their life, their breath, their body, their prana means. Like, I say, like breath. It implies here a kind of, uh, that we're dependent on things. Like food to live, like air to breathe. Hmm? So they are, they are, uh, it, speak, it speaks of sharanagati, mat hmm? prana, matgata prana. Hmm? They're dependent upon me, like others are, like we are dependent on food to live. Understand? Their life, their breath is dependent upon, upon they cannot live without me. Hmm? This is the idea. They cannot live without me. 
they are saranagata, surrendered. They have no other ambition. Hmm? What was their practice? The medicine of their practice has become food now. It's not someone who has to say, take your medicine now. When will I eat next? When will I eat next? When's lunch? When's dinner? When's breakfast? When's a snack? What's in the refrigerator? <laughs> Something like this. When can I hear about Krishna? Who can I talk to Krishna about? What did you dream about Krishna last night? Hmm? This is Madgata Prana. This, when we come to Madgata Prana, then Madchita. Do you understand? Hmm? From Sharanagati, we'll come, first will come Bhava Bhakti. Madchita Madgata Prana, Bodhayanta Prasparam. He goes on to say, those whose, whose, whose lives are completely dependent upon me, hmm? This is Sharanagati. They, they, they think that they're like a sold-out animal, hmm? dependent upon their domestic master, hmm? something like that. Hmm? Put themselves completely in, in his hands. Those people who then whose minds become fully absorbed in me, they conduct themselves like this. Bodhayanta parasparam katayantas jamam nityam. Those who do this svarnam, it means, machita, whose minds are absorbed in me, thinking of me in terms of a relationship in dasya, sakya, vatsalya, madhurya, these kind of rasas, cultivating that. Those who are doing that internally, who are sharanagatas, who are surrendered, it means you can't just imitate it, who's doing that. They foster, they, they support that. Bodhayanta parasparam katayantas chamam nityam by shravanam and kirtanam. Bodhayantas parasparam. They hear and talk, but hear means from one another. Parasparam means like together, mutually. They get together with other like-minded people and they hear from them. And those people hear from you. About your experience, about Krishna, and bodhayanta prasparam. Bodh means also; it implies that they talk about philosophy, the philosophy that underlies this this love. Bodh bodh means wisdom, intellect that we should apply. That their intellect is fully fully absorbed. Their chit is absorbed. Their 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 mind, their consciousness, their 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 bodies are absorbed. Their intellect is absorbed. Intellect is absorbed means hearing. Is another way of saying. You understand? They're hearing the book. They're hearing the text. They're thinking about the implications of this, and then they're caused to talk about it with others. Bodhayanta parasparam. And what do you think? What do you say? Any question? Any comment? Can we keep it going? Something like that. That they, that they are feeling. Hmm? So they do hearing, hmm? and katayantas chamam nityam, and they do chanting, katayantas chamam. Shravanam, kirtanam, smaranam. These are the three principal limbs of bhakti relative to rag bhakti. That's what's being described here. Katayantas chamam nityam, tushanti cha, ramanti cha. Hmm? And in the context of doing this, 
it's, it, it means they get tushanti, they get nourishment, they get satisfaction. They find satisfaction in this, even in the stage of sadhana, of, of pra- in practice, in practicing. Even then, they get some time, They get some satisfaction from this, and they're driven ramanticha by the prospect of love that will come from this. Or, in a higher sense, it means that what they're doing this. And the result is, it's tangible. There's, some, there's a real result. They get tushanticha, brahmanticha. It means they grow and they develop and they attain sambandarupa or kamarupa bhakti. Sambandarupa bhakti means vatsalya, dasya, sakya bhakti. Kamarupa bhakti means madhurya, romantic love. These are two divisions in ragmarg. Ragmarg means that path of love. Rag means attachment, where there's attachment to Bhagwan hmm? that forms an identity, just like our identity to matter forms an identity. Our attachment to matter forms an identity. That's false because nothing's ours. But in bhakti, prem, tushanti cha means prem. They attain prem, those bhava bhaktas. They attain prem. And that prem is characterized by what? Minus, minus. Krishna is mine. Hmm? We entered into this chapter saying, "You are His." We're coming out the other end saying, "He is mine." You are His implies sharanagati. I am His. Hmm? And pursuing along that line and cultivating it, it, it changes to, "He is mine." Hmm? And this forms an identity. You asakti turns into attachment to, to the object love, turns into bhava. The cultivation of bhava turns into prema. It's the cultivation of minus. Minus, he's mine, he's mine. Hmm? So an, what is mine forms my I. Hmm? So an I, I'm the friend of Krishna, I'm the lover of Krishna. That's maybe. And so there's two basic divisions in that extraordinary realm of love. Samandarup and Kamarup. Samandarup means loving Krishna like like a friend, like a love like excuse me, like a like a parent, like a servant. These are relationships, Samanda, that are in the Braj Lila, in the Lila of Krishna that are possible. In other words, let's say you well, you know, there's 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 a good reason for loving your friend, for loving your child for loving your your teacher hmm? so this is Samandra this is presided over by Baladev Balaram Krishna's older brother Samanda Rup and the way is Samandanuga and Kamanuga is another division of Rag Bhakti this is about Rag Bhakti Raganuga the way of Raga hmm? spontaneous love where there's no calculation in the mind they should love because he's God. Hmm? It starts with a little bit, oh, knowing the center, and then they say, from knowing Krishna as the supreme Godhead to forgetting about. This is, this is the highest idea of knowledge. Knowing within un, 
unknowing. So, second division, Kamanuga. This is the gopi's love. This is Radha's love. Hmm? It's not loving because there's any... Uh, within the context of the Leela, any relationship that's um, allowed, but only out of desire, that's very inflammatory and and uh, con- consuming. So, he says, Tushanticha Ramanticha. Again, those whose minds are absorbed in me in Bhava Bhakti, they are Sharanagatas. Hmm? They know the scriptures, they know the Siddhanta very well, Bodhayanta Prasparam. They hear about it very well from scripture. They talk about it with others. Hmm? This supports their sambandha. Hmm? That, that, that tattva that is, is the canvas on which the bhava, the art of bhava and prema is drawn. They know that very well. Bodhayantas. Hmm? This is very important. This will, this, this will bring unity. Hmm? In Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the only thing that will bring unity is proper understanding of philosophy. Otherwise, your unity will be superficial. Hmm? Your harmony, your union will be superficial. Hmm? This is the canvas. You've got to get on the canvas. Then make for love. That makes for wise love. Anything short of that is not wise love. It's a semblance only of love. Hmm? So bodhayanta prasma, and they do hearing, and that means they understood the shastra very well, the theological argument. They can do shastra yukti. They can reason about the implications of revelation. And katayantascha, they do chanting, they do hearing, chanting, shavanam, kirtanam, smaranam, and meditation, and they get to shanticha, rumanticha. Any question? Yes? Um, Shudra Maharaj has a long commentary on these verses, uh-huh. on these four verses. I don't remember exactly, but what I do remember is that what his commentary is about this, in this verse is that it's all about Hemabhakti in the mode of Lord of And that's the only way he's describing this verse. So I'm trying to actually understand how he's presenting this view, which is uh, like the extreme view. But he really encompasses the kind of love. Yeah, he, well, actually, he's, he, he also identifies Tushanti, uh, distinguishes it from Ramanti as, uh, for the prospect of Sambandhanuga Bhakti, Sambandharupa Bhakti, Vatsalya Dasya, Madhurya, or Vatsalya Dasya and Sakya. But he distinguishes it, uh, appropriately so, from Ramanti. Ramanti. Ram, Ramanti, implies um, the pleasure of, in a, of romantic love. Hmm. So the word Ramanti in particular hmm, is taken to refer to the gopis' love for Krishna. So what Sridhar is saying that this 
verse ultimately points in this direction. This is where it's taking us, this prospect, Radha Dasyam. Hmm? And um, I think that's clear also from what we were saying. The other, it, doesn't, it doesn't exclude the other types of sentiments, but the furthest reach and potential hmm, for loving Krishna is found, is embodied in Radha. So Ramanti Cha refers to that type of love. And so he, in his own sentiment for that, also emphasizes that. Does that help? Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out the etymology of the words is that all of this is available. The shanti means tu shanti means like uh, satisfaction, like pushti, like nourishment. Hmm? So uh, that's why it speaks of sakya dasya vatsalya. Ramanti means it refers to more to, more readily to romantic love, and there's a so there's a distinction between those two words, and he makes that distinction also, but emphasizes that it culminates everything in Ramanticha. There's everything, the love of Vrindavan is all centered around Ramanticha. It's all centered around the relationship of Radha and Krishna, even the Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, and Madhurya. So I'm not sure if I'm understanding your question, but. Well, oh, I know what you're saying. It's just that I'm trying to figure out in my mind. I don't know the etymology of these words that would actually imply all these possibilities each one. Yeah, well, it's, if you study the uh, etymology of Tushanti and Ramanti, then we'll be clear, Tushanti implies a kind of a nourishment hmm, as opposed to kind of a what would we use in contrast to that? Uh, uh, no, no. Uh, like, uh, it's, I think it maybe transcends word. <laughs> uh, what do you, uh, if you think of the difference between your love for your children, which is a kind of a, it's, it's you're in a nourishing role, and and you kind of nourish a friend too, hmm? and a master and students. Relationship is kind of a nourishing, it's satisfying. Tushanti also means satisfied, so it becomes satisfied. It doesn't have the same implication as kind of racing like romantic love does. No, that would be the difference between Baikuntha and, 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 and any of these sentiments we're talking about. But... Um, but eros is certainly a, it's, it's a, a agape means like reverential love of God. Eros means romantic love, but it doesn't. I don't think friendly love falls within eros in, in the same way. So it's not. I don't know. Scholars can help me with that. But but there's a, the point is that there's a kind of a satisfaction and and somewhat of a static by comparison love. In Dasya, Sakya, Batsolya, and Madhurya, it's got you moving. It's almost a fullness on empty, something like that. So, Ramanticha is the idea. What else? Yes, Carl, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Maharaj. Srila Prabhupada often talks about, like what you're talking about in the 10th chapter, he talks about. 
um, our vision of Krishna, um, comparing it to a lot of great things, and seeing that at, at different times we'll see Krishna, uh, we'll see Krishna's energy, and he often makes a comparison to a tree. So when a, pra- a spiritual practitioner he looks out at the world from his fallen state or aspiring devotional state, and he sees a tree, like I look out the window, there's a maple. But he, as time goes on and our practice increases, then we'll see that that's Krishna's energy. And then beyond that, we'll see that it's not just Krishna's energy, that Krishna is there. Can you explain a little bit about what he's saying about that and how that will uh, be revealed to us intellectually and emotionally? Well, what he's saying, it's kind of a difference between what he's talking about in animism, in that in animism, for example, we worship a tree or a mountain and so forth unto itself, whereas in bhakti we could worship a tree. You could worship that maple tree and become Krishna conscious. Hmm? You want to know how to do that, right? <laughs> the I- you won't, you won't. Yeah. Um, but maples are sweet, but... But um, the idea is that with the Sambandha again, with the proper conceptual orientation, we understand the tree, for example, is a manifestation of the Shakti of Bhagawan. Hmm? And so this is his Maya Shakti. So if we worship a thing, a manifestation of Maya Shakti, this is the Maya Shakti of Krishna. Hmm? You understand? You can become Krishna conscious by doing that. And then so you will, you will see that the the cause and the effect hmm, are one that the that the effect the world is in the cause hmm, not that they're separate and that krishna is both the efficient and uh, the material and the, the ingredient hmm, elements to use this is actually aristotelian i believe um idea um both of them. So that's what it means when the Bhagavatam says that, uh, what is that verse describing the Uttam Bhagavat? 11th canto? No, that's a Madhyam Madhikari. Madhyam Bhagavat. Savabhuteshu ma madbhakta, Savabhuteshu ma pashyad. So to see everything, or Gita says to see everything, me and everything, everything in me, something like that. Now you, I, I can't explain to you that vision. You have to have that, and that's you know, when you have it, you can't really talk about it anymore. Then who could talk about it better than the Bhagavad? It already has, but it also wants us to know language and thought are limited to explain that which is above their their um, pay grade. Hmm. Something like that. That help? Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm kind of following that, that through. So in the animistic conception, and I might have understood this at one time, but I can't understand it now, but we would see the tree just, I mean, it doesn't have a source. Right. It, it, is, it is unto itself, but in other words, it has a certain, it has a certain power, but it doesn't have a source. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you're seeing yeah, the, the power of it in relation to yourself in terms of sustaining you, perhaps, and therefore you're 
therefore you worship it and, and so on. Um, but right, you don't see it. It's, it's it for what you're seeing it from your perspective and a perspective, a material perspective of how it's maintaining it. Like say, how the mountain produces all of these various roots and herbs and, and we depend upon them. How I'm a cowherd and the, the, the hill has good grasses and so um, because the cows eat the grass, then I can milk and make my livelihood. I worship the mountain hmm? idea. Hmm? And so that's a, so it's two things. We don't see the mountain in terms of its source, what it is. We see it in animism in relation to ourselves, but we don't see ourselves for what we are either. We're thinking of ourselves in terms of our material identification and its necessities. And we find something in nature that's powerful that, that provides those necessities, so we worship it. Hmm? So the difference between that and what we're talking about is, is understanding what you are, hmm? that you're not a body, hmm? and um, that you're not being sustained in an ultimate metaphysical, ontological sense by by the mountain. Hmm? And number one, and still the mountain is is a powerful manifestation of divinity that is a provider and speaks of our dependence, the hill, and, and so forth. But it itself is only a partial kind of rudimentary manifestation of our actual source. And beyond that is a shakti of the source as it's the maya shakti, hmm? so to speak. So factoring all those conceptual elements in makes for the worship of the mountain, the difference between worshiping a mountain out here and the inhabitants of Vrindavan worshiping Govardhan Hill, something like that. Yes, you know. When you mentioned the names of the Sharanam Ketan, non-different from each other in terms of results, in the sense that if we, have, if we don't have attraction to chant, we just hear or any other things. You can be perfect by, by anyone, either of them. And there are examples of those who became perfect by hearing, those by chanting, those by meditating. But in Rag Bhakti, then the hearing and the chanting, they foster the meditating. So there's a difference between meditating and hearing and chanting and that you can't do meditation at a certain point that you can and at the same point you can chant. Meditation requires some prerequisite. Chanting doesn't and hearing less so. So let's say you're not even interested in spiritual life, you can still hear somebody chanting Hare Krishna, right? You engaged in, in bhakti, even un, 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 unwittingly, unknowingly. You have no qualification. Now, if you're going to chant, well, you have to pay, you know, you think, I'm going to chant, okay. So there's a, a little bit more, um, comparatively, qualification, I guess you could say. But for meditating, you can't meditate without a clean heart. That's why you can't sit, because you get up, because there's things to do. You think there are things to do that are important. So that's why he says, Machita, Madgata, Prana. Hmm? 
first kata prana, then machita. How you walk and live your life will determine how well you can sit and absorb your mind. So to do real meditation, it's, it's, it's not, not just anybody can do that, but anybody could chant or hear. So there's some prerequisite for meditating and the means then it's primarily recommended for the for our time for cleansing the heart, if you will, of desire, is the chanting. So the chanting fosters the meditating. But if you get in a certain stage less out of chanting than from hearing, then you should do more hearing. But you have to be careful to see that your hearing doesn't become just an intellectual exercise. It's because some people can talk in, in an interesting way. And so you can, if it doesn't fuel action, hmm, helping a mission, coming to for association, hmm, chanting or archan, you can incorporate archan, worship of the deity, and so forth. So hearing should, if I've heard, there should be some, there should be some evidence of that, in the form of action. But it's good to hear. Hmm? Good to hear. And it should be such that the more you hear from the right person, if you hear from a person who, who's not attached, that will change your heart. It will cause you in due course to let go, to let go. And it will bring about a change. If they're not, if they're attached, it won't have the same effect. Hmm? All right. So, it's nice to sit with you all and... Tonight we go where to, to up to your place, right? Your house. Okay, we'll be there for, for a couple of two, three sessions tomorrow. Grand Simad Bhagavad Gita ki jai, or Bhaktivinoda ki jai. Om Premanandini.